I want you to, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got the passages on the screen behind me. And we're in this series in the Gospel of Mark called The Lion Roars. And I want to begin this morning by just telling you about a lady by the name of Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker in 1983 murdered two people with a pickaxe. She was so animalistic in her behavior that she laughed while she did it. She was later arrested. She was found guilty. She was um, imprisoned and sentenced to die uh, by lethal injection in the state of Texas. And while she was on death row, she committed her life to Christ. And she experienced a radical transformation in her life because of the gospel of Jesus. And so the people closest to her said the change is so evident in her life that there's no way you could doubt the genuineness of her conversion. And so Carla Faye Tucker became uh, the first woman executed in Texas uh, since the Civil War. And she was, she was strapped on a gurney. She was led into the room where they were going to execute her. And her final message to those who were gathered was this, and I quote, she said, pretty soon I'm going to be face to face with Jesus. And I want you all to know that I love you and that I will see you all when you get there. Now I share that story with you to say this, that no matter how dark your sin is, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse it and make it whiter than snow. That no matter what you've done, no matter what is in your past, no matter what skeletons you may have in your closet, you are never outside of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves. And so when Jesus was asked one day, why did you come? His answer was, I came to seek and save the lost. His answer was, I, I, I left glory, I left my throne in heaven, and I came here to pursue those who are broken and messed up. Because you see, broken and messed up people are the only kind of people that there are. And so that's exactly what we're going to see in the story that we're going to read today in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see Jesus seek out and save the lost. Now last week, you remember, we, we looked at the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember that story, you remember the wind and the waves pounded the boat. You remember the, you know, the lightning was flash, flashing and, and the thunder was deafening and the disciples were freaking. They were freaking out so, so badly that they, they thought that they were going to die. And while they were freaking out, Jesus was sleeping. And Jesus wasn't sleeping because he didn't care. You see, he was, he was asleep because he was in control. You see, Jesus is the sovereign over the universe. Even the wind and waves obey him. He, he created the wind and waves. He, he holds the wind and waves together by the power of his word. And so Jesus wakes up, he stands up, and he speaks to the wind and waves, telling the wind and waves to shut up. And they do exactly that. And Mark tells us that instantly over the Sea of Galilee, there was a great calm. The disciples were just blown away at this. They were afraid. They had never seen anything like this before. And they, they look at each other and they ask, who is this man that even the wind and waves obey him? And so last week's story ended with that question. Who, who, who is this man? 
And I believe what Mark does in the, in the story that we're going to look at today is answer that very question. And what he's going to show us is this is the man who not only commands the wind and waves, but this is the man who saves and seeks out the lost. So we're going to read this, one of the most interesting stories, I think, in all of the Gospels. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand together out of reverence for the reading of God's word this morning? And so Mark records this, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to, to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everybody marveled. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So I told you this one's an interesting one here. So Jesus has just calmed a violent storm. And he gets out of the boat and he meets a man with an equally violent storm inside of him. And what Mark tells us, Mark's point in these, these two stories back to back, is that Jesus is Lord over the storms. That's what we see. He's Lord over all the storms. He's Lord over external storms. And Jesus is Lord over internal storms. You see, in both cases, in both storms, the power of Jesus prevails over chaos and destruction. And Jesus not only commands the elements, the wind and waves, but he also commands the demonic spirits and they do exactly what he says. 
And so in this, we get a real clear picture of, of who Jesus is in this story, that he, he has, he, he's the man who has the power to command the wind and waves, but he's also the man who comes to seek and save the lost, that, that Jesus uses his power not to oppress us, but he uses his power to liberate us and to set us free. And I think it points to a, a great truth. It, it, it points us to the greatest news of all. And that great news is this, is no one is too far gone to be saved by Jesus Christ. See, the point of this story is you can't outkick the grace of God. You can't outsend the mercy of God. And that's really the scandal of grace, isn't it? Like that no matter what you've done, like no matter what is in your past, no matter what skeleton resides in your closet, Jesus can set you free. You know, Romans puts it this way, that, that though sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And the people that we tend to kind of write off, the people that we tend to give up on, the, the, the people that we tend to classify as hopeless, the people that we tend to avoid are the very people that, that Jesus pursues. Now, let's just think about this man for a minute and, uh, you know, just shooting straight with you. I, I can't think of another person in scripture who, who is more messed up than this guy. I, I mean, I just, I struggle to even think anybody else in scripture that's more broken and messed up than this man. I, I want you to observe, just look at verses three, four, and five, because I want you to see the detail that Mark goes into to describe how far gone this guy really is, how broken and messed up that he is. He gives us three very specific details that I want to I just highlight about this, this person, this man, this demoniac, if you will. And then the first detail that he gives us, you see it in verse 2, he was demonic. He was demonic. You see it, you see it very clearly in verse 2. It says this, Mark records, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So uh, an unclean spirit is, is really uh, another way of describing a demonic spirit. So, so this man's life is broken by the demonic. His heart is filled with darkness. His life is chaos. It's an absolute mess. Now, we're not told the background on this. We're not told how he got to this situation. We're not we're not sure the backstory of what he did to open himself up to this kind of influence, but we do know that this influence is very real, and he is demonic. And it's very similar to our situation before we, be we became Christians. It's very similar to us before we came to Christ. Not that we were possessed by demons, but you know what? To be influenced by demons, you don't have to be possessed by demons. You can just be living for yourself just living in sin. And uh, I think that's the picture that we have here, that darkness controlled this man's life just like darkness controlled our lives before we, we met the grace of Jesus. He gives us a second detail. He's demonic, but also, Mark tells us, he's dangerous. Look at, look at what he says. He says this in verse three, he lived among the tombs. Now just think about that church. He lived in a graveyard. He lived, he lived among the dead. And, and so for all practical purpose, purposes, the demoniac was a dead man walking. He's absolutely dead in his sin, 
dead in his life, dead in his relationships, dead in his relationship with God. And practically what this means is from a, from a Jewish perspective, I mean, this, this demoniac was Gentile, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but, but he was also ceremonial un, ceremonially unclean because he lived among the dead. And so from a Jewish perspective, this man is not fit for the presence of God. Like the presence of God has, has completely abandoned him. He is separated from God, and he's not fit to even worship so he is far from God. And, and, and Mark also tells us that this man is mentally unstable. And uh, he's so messed up mentally that the townspeople apparently have kicked him out of the town. Probably because he is, he is a danger to everyone there. And you, you, you see this in, in verse 3. Notice what it says. He lived, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with the shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had strength to subdue him. So, so, so apparently he was such a danger to people in the community, they, they saw the need to bind him in chains and uh, they sent him out of town. And uh, it just kind of reminds me that of the old adage, you know, hurt people often hurt people. You know, when you've been beat up with life, you've been wounded and broken, we tend to let that out on other people. And that's the truth of who we were before we came to Christ. We often said things we shouldn't have said and done things we shouldn't have done in our words and, and our actions and attitudes. You see, in reality, we're not that different from this demoniac. And so he's demonic, he's dangerous. He's so dangerous, he has superhuman strength. The demon gives him the strength to break out of the chains so that he can, he can just wreak more havoc on people. And then finally, Mark tells us that this man is desperate. He's demonic, he's dangerous, and he's desperate. And you get a feel for this desperate condition. You see this in verse 5. It tells us night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So notice that phrase, night and day. So, so really that tells me that he never really slept. He, he didn't get a lot of sleep. He didn't get a lot of rest. And, and, and so, so this guy is just being tormented. He is shrieking day and night. He is screaming day and night. He is, he is so filled with mental and spiritual and emotional anguish, he has to cut himself physically just to get his mind off of his internal pain. That's where this, this man is. And, uh, and so he has some very serious problems. And what, and what Mark tells us is the source of his problem is the fact that he is demon-possessed. So he sees Jesus get out of the boat, and he immediately runs for Jesus and falls at the feet of Jesus. And he and Jesus begin this conversation. And Jesus asks the Spirit's name. And the Spirit responds by saying this. You see this in verse 9. What is your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now that word legion is a military term. And the, and the Bible commentators that I read this week, they, they basically pointed to the fact that there's a possibility that this man was possessed by 6,000 demons because the word legion means 6,000. So just... 
just think about that for a minute. It, it's in all possibility that he was possessed by 6,000 demons in his life. This guy has some serious issues in his life. He is seriously struggling. Now, when you think about our enemy, Satan, you, you, you think about how the scripture describes Satan and his demons. He, uh, the scripture describes Satan as a liar, as an accuser, and as a thief. And I think the principle for you and for me is just simply understanding that we have an enemy. That we, we wake up every day and there's a being set on our destruction. That we have, a, we have an enemy that we face every day. That we face a battle, a spiritual battle every single day. And Satan and his demons have three tricks that they use against us. They lie to us, they accuse and condemn us, and then they steal from us. Because Satan is a liar and an accuser and a thief. And he, he works that in your life and in my life every single day. He lies he accuses, and he steals from us. Now, you just think about, think about the level of this man's sin and bondage. You, you, you think about the level of foothold that the enemy has in this man's life. Could you imagine the lies that fill this man's mind? Could you imagine the, the condemnation and shame that this man felt in his heart? Can you imagine the joy that was stolen from his heart uh, because of the enemy. And so all of this uh, makes this guy desperate in every way. There's a real sense of desperation that Mark goes to a lot of trouble to communicate to us. And I don't know, maybe you're reading about this and hopefully it makes you feel better about, you know, your condition today, you know what I mean? After kind of reading, reading a little bit about him. But, but Mark's point here is this, church. This guy's too far gone. Like he's, he's unsalvageable. He is unsavable. He is unredeemable. He is unforgivable. That, that's who this guy is. And Mark is, is, is really letting us know all about this. That, that we just need to take our kids and run and hide if we see this guy coming. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's just kind of where this is. But little, little does this man know that he is going to have his life changed by the man who commands the wind and the waves and by the man who, who commands the demons. Now, now when, they, when this man sees Jesus get out of the boat, he, he runs and falls at the feet of Jesus and immediately what he says is, he says this in verse 7, he, he asks this question, what are you going to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, the, the, the spirit? the demonic spirit asked and then he says do not torment me he says do not torment me and uh and so jesus asks his name and, and and then jesus casts out these demonic spirits and the demonic spirits now listen to this church they asked they request of jesus to be sent into a herd of pigs and jesus grants their request and that's that's according to what Mark tells us in this story. And immediately, as soon as the demonic spirits enter into these pigs, they run down the hill, they run down the cliff and drown themselves in the sea, all 2,000 of these pigs. Now, I, I, you know, when you read that, I mean, you're, you're just kind of confused by 
all of the details of what happens in that story. It's a little confusing. And then you start asking the question, I mean, why do the demons even ask this in the first place? Why do they, you know, why do they ask to be sent to the pigs? And then why do the pigs immediately run down the hill and drown themselves in the lake? And the answer that I have is this, I don't really know. I don't really know. But I did some digging. And, uh, you know, I found some, some things that John Piper, the pastor John Piper, has to say about this passage. I want to share uh, some of what he says about this. And what he says about this is this is a very perplexing story. Uh, but in the middle of the perplexity, he says, you can't lose sight of the clarity that we have. And he highlights maybe six or seven thoughts of clarity that we have on this, on this story. So let me kind of share this. And, uh, and hopefully it will enlighten you a little bit about what's happening in this story. I, th- I think the first thing that, that Piper notices about this is he says, the demons clearly know who Jesus is. I mean, we've seen that throughout the Gospel of Mark. They are the first to recognize who Jesus is. They call him the son of the most high God. So they know exact. there's no confusion with them over the identity of Jesus. Secondly, he says, they know that Jesus has absolute power over them. That's, that's evidently clear. He, they know that Jesus has absolute power either to cast them out or not, and then to decide where they go or not. So there's not some kind of you know, dualism happening in here where Satan and Jesus are on the same level duking it out. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is clearly superior to the demons and they clearly submit to him. The third thing Piper says is this, that the demons absolutely know that in the future they are appointed for final torment. They know their day is coming because the first thing out of their mouth is, please do not torment me. Please. The spokesperson of the demons request they know they think in seeing Jesus get out of the boat they think the day of torment has already arrived and they're already trying to manipulate and lobby to get out of that but they know that their future is destined for torment Piper says this the herd of pigs reminds us that Jesus and the disciples are in Gentile territory because the Jews didn't raise they didn't farm pigs they were considered unclean And so they're right in the middle of Gentile territory here. And what this does is foreshadows that the gospel will be carried to the ends of the earth. The good news of grace will extend beyond Israel and to the ends of the earth, praise be to God. Piper also says the large number of pigs and the large number of demons really show us how serious this man's bondage was. I mean, this is serious business. I mean, one demon is serious business. Multiple ones is serious bondage for this man. But, but yet what you notice here is this bondage is not a problem for Jesus. It's not a problem at all. Why? Because he commands the wind and the waves. He commands the demonic spirits. Piper also says the fact that the demons pleaded to be sent into the pigs shows how much they hate roaming about the world without habitation they don't want to roam the world without inhabiting something or somebody 
Because what they want to do is wreak chaos and destruction, and they need a body to do that with. And so they beg to be sent into the pigs because at least in the pigs, they can menace society and create chaos. And then the last thing that he says is the demons could not have known that the pigs would have suddenly just run down the hill and drowned. They would have not known that because if they had, they wouldn't have asked to be sent into the pigs. They want to be in a place where they can cause evil and destruction. Now, that's a little bit about kind of what's happening here. Hopefully that was helpful to provide some clarity. But let me add to the clarity because I want to show you the condition of the man after Jesus healed him and restored him. Look at verses 14 and 15. Mark tells us this. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man. They knew who this man was. Everybody knew who this guy was, right? And the one who had the legion sitting there, he was clothed, which meant that he wasn't always clothed before. And then he was in his right mind, and then they were afraid. See, this man had gotten his life back. This man who I would have written off, maybe you would have written off, maybe you would have avoided, I probably would have avoided him. Jesus went right after him. Jesus went right to him and set him free and completely changed him, completely transformed him. And what you see is the scandalous grace of God at work in the life of someone that we think they're just too far gone. They're just too far gone. Now, what lessons do we learn from the story? What what does the story really teach us about God? I, I think there's three lessons that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this, that Jesus always forces us to make a choice. Jesus always forces us to make a decision, to make a choice. Is it it that we're going to follow the world? Or are we going to follow the word? Are we going to trust in wealth, money, and prosperity? Or are we going to trust in Jesus? Are we going to choose fear? Or are we going to choose faith? You see, the choice has been the same for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It has, it has never changed. It always boils down to those choices. It always does, even today in 2022. Now, what's fascinating is this story is so similar to the, to the story that we read last week, the story that precedes it, because in both, both instances, Jesus calms the storm. He, he calms the storm of the wind and waves, and he saves the disciples. But, but in the story that we're looking at today, he calms the 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 storm of the demons, and he saves the demoniac. In both stories, the reaction is the same. The reaction to Jesus and his ministry is the same, fear. Because if you remember, when Jesus calmed the wind and waves, the disciples were so fearful and blown away, they asked the question, who is this man that he commands the wind and waves? I mean, they were more afraid after the storm than they were during the storm. You guys following me? And then in the story that we're looking at today, the people hear the good news of the demoniac being healed and they arrive on the scene and they see the 2,000 pigs dead in the, in the sea and notice, notice that what their response is. Their response is fear, verses 15 through 17. Look at, look at this. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man 
the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. You notice that? They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and then they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So the crowd saw the pigs, and they saw the man, and their response was a response of fear. Now, I I think this story happened the way it did because I think Jesus was testing these people. I think he was testing them. I think he was forcing them to make a choice. And it really reminds me of the story of Job. If you remember in the story of Job, the first two chapters, Satan approaches God and asks God for permission to afflict Job. Because you see, Satan always has to have God's permission. Well, God granted the permission to Satan to afflict Job. Because God was going to test Job through Satan. And so you remember the story, you know, basically it really boiled down to this. Is Job going to love and trust God? Or is he going to love his health, his wealth, and his family more than God? And I think that's what's happening here. I mean, Jesus goes into the middle of Gentile territory. He defeats the devil. He sets the prisoner free. He presents himself as a deliverer. But what happens in the process, 2,000 pigs die. Now, church, what you have to understand is that herd of pigs represented the livelihood and the financial security for a lot of people. A lot of people. And so, and so these people own these pigs, had lost a lot of money that day. And all of a sudden, they have to make a choice. Are they going to trust in human resources? Or are they going to trust in divine resources? Are they going to choose money? Or are they going to choose Jesus? And to our shock and amazement, what, what Mark tells us is that they, I mean, can you imagine this? They go up to Jesus And they beg him to leave. They beg him to leave. Jesus has caused so much chaos, so much disruption in their life. Their response to what Jesus did is a response of fear that he might continue to wreak havoc in their life. And they ask him to leave. It's pretty mind-blowing when you kind of think about it. You know what I know, church, is this, that there are a lot of you They're not following Jesus because you're afraid. You're you're afraid of what he's going to ask you to sacrifice. You're afraid of what other people think if you really follow Jesus. You're afraid of what you might be called to do, what you might be called to say. And so what you do is you're, you're keeping Jesus at arm's length. You don't want him near you, just like these people. And so that's what we see is Jesus always forces us to make a choice. But secondly, I think this story shows us that God loves the unlovable. That God loves the unlovable. And I've already touched on this a little bit. But, but you, see, you see the man that's sitting there. He's, he's clothed, praise God. He's, he, he's in his right mind. You know, the people see this. And, 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 and really, the point of this is, is that God loves the unlovable. He, he forgives the unforgivable. He he saves the unsavable. He redeems the 
the unredeemable. I mean, think about the work of God in the world today is he takes people who have real serious issues and he engages them in the middle of those issues. And what he does is he brings healing and restoration and redemption in the middle of those issues. That's what God does. That's the work of Jesus. That Jesus takes people who are bound by chains, oppressed by the enemy, and isolated from the love of community. And you know what he does? He breaks the chains, he defeats the devil, and he adopts us into his family. What I think today is there are probably some of you, many of you maybe, that you're pinned down with some life-dominating sin. There's something in your past that you're carrying around like a ball and chain. And you think that God can't love you because of what you did. You, you, you think somehow, some way that what you did is so evil and so bad that God could never forgive you. God could never love you. And I just want to tell you, you're dead wrong. Because the grace of God is bigger than all of our sins. It really is. And that's the message of the gospel. If he can forgive and restore a guy that's possessed by 6,000 demons, he, he can handle what you have and what I have. He can handle all of that. Praise be to God. God loves the unlovable. And really, when you think about it, that's what our church is about. That's who we are. We're not just a group of people in the middle of a rainstorm, right? We're, we don't just come here to sing songs just to sing songs. We don't come, you know, to church just to hear, you know, thoughts from an ancient document. We're here today because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And that's what we were. And that is, that is the story of what God has done for us. That we were unlovable and God loved us. You know, uh, Tony Campolo is a sociologist and uh, he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God as a Party. And uh, in that book, he, he shares about a story he was in Honolulu, Hawaii one night and, and uh, he was up late and uh, couldn't sleep and he was really hungry and he decided uh, he wanted to get something to eat. So he, he, uh, he you know, just kind of looked around and found this, this diner, uh, which was the epitome of the words greasy spoon. And so uh, uh, he decided to go in, he, he walked in, he sat down at a booth, they handed him a menu and he didn't even touch the menu because the menu was so greasy. He was afraid if he opened it, something would kind of crawl out. But, uh, but he sat there and there's this big burly guy that was behind the counter, just kind of walked over and, uh, and said to Tony Campolo, well, what do you have? And Tony Campolo said, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee and a donut, please. And, you know, it was about, about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. And, and uh, so he's sitting there eating his donut, drinking his coffee. It's not a big place. And uh, nobody else is in there. And then all of a sudden, the door just blows open. And 10 of the most pr provocatively dressed, uh, boisterous prostitutes that you could ever see walk in this diner at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they all sit down right around him. It's not even that big of a place. But, but he's surrounded by this group of prostitutes, right? And they're just talking really loud and he's sitting there and he's thinking to himself, I'm going to eat this donut and I'm going to get out of here as quickly as I can. 
and uh, he's eating his donut, and, and then right over, just right across from him is, is this lady, and she says to the lady, quote-unquote friend, who was sitting across from her, she says, uh, you know, tomorrow is my 39th birthday, and, um, you know, I can't believe it. I'm going to be 39 tomorrow, and then her friend just kind of angri angrily responded, well, Agnes, you know, what do you want me to do about it? You want me to throw you a birthday party? You want me to get you a birthday cake? You want me to get you a birthday present? And Agnes responded by saying, no, I, that's not my point. Why, why do you have to be so mean? I'm just telling you that tomorrow is my birthday. I've never had a birthday party before in my life. Why would I want to start tomorrow? When Tony Campola heard those words, he made a decision that he would stay right there until all those ladies left. And they finally left. And uh, when they did, he got up and went over to the guy behind the counter. His name was Harry. And he said, uh, he said, sir, did those ladies come in here every morning in the wee hours of the morning? He said, they sure do. They're just like clockwork. They come in at, at almost the same time. And uh, he said, well, do you know that, that one lady named Agnes? He said, yeah, I know Agnes. And Tony Campola said, well, she said tomorrow's her birthday. And she said that she's never had a birthday party before. And uh, Tony said, I, I think we ought to do something about that. I, I think tomorrow night we ought to throw a birthday party for her. And Harry, the owner of the, the diner, said, yeah, I, I think you're right. And he called his wife out from, from the kitchen and kind of explained what, you know, what their idea was. And, and so uh, his wife said, yeah, I, you know, she's very kind and nobody ever does anything nice for her. And so this would be, this would be a really nice thing. Uh, to do for her and so Tony said well alright well I'll be back tomorrow at 2 a.m. I'll bring some decorations I'll bring a card you, you guys you guys get a birthday cake put 39 candles on there and write happy birthday Agnes on the top of that cake and we'll have a big old party and uh, so they're in there diners ready to go at 3 a.m. and Tony Campola says he says I don't know how in the world that word got out but he said every prostitute in the state of Hawaii was in that diner that night. And, um, and Agnes still hadn't arrived. You know, she was, she was due any minute. And so Agnes walked in about 3.30 with, with, with a friend of hers. And uh, on the count of three, Tony Campolo and the whole entire crowd of people yelled out, Happy birthday, Agnes. And they brought the cake out. And it was just on fire with, with flames, you know. And, and she was just blown away. She just stood there stunned, he said, uh, just white as a ghost. And uh, she just didn't even move. In fact, he noticed her knees buckled a little bit. And so they, you know, they kind of brought her in a little bit and they brought the cake up to her and they sang happy birthday to her. And as they were singing, you know, uh, the tears just started coming down from her eyes. And she just stood there just stunned. And uh, the song ended and Harry said, well, Agnes, you need to kind of blow out the candles on the birthday cake. If you don't do it, I'm going to have to do it for you. And so she inhaled deeply and blew them all out. Everybody clapped, you know, and, and she just stood there. And Harry said, well, here's a knife. Go ahead and cut the cake. You know, everybody wants a piece of cake. And, she's, and she just kind of said, she said, you know, if it would be okay with everybody, she said, I'd like to just keep the cake. I, I live a couple of blocks down if you all don't mind, I, I would love to just keep the cake and just kind of take it home with me right now. And she grabbed the cake and she just walked out, just like that. And everybody in the room was just silent, he said. And, uh, and so it was just kind of an awkward silence, an awkward moment. And Tony Campola just said to everybody in the room, 
why don't we take a minute and pray? And so they all bow their heads and, you know, as he was thinking about what he was going to pray for, he, he just thought, man, this is the craziest thing in the world, a room full of a hundred prostitutes and I'm leading a prayer meeting with all of them. And uh, so he starts to pray for, and he just prays for God's love to be manifested to her. And uh, that God would reveal himself, God would pour his love into, into the life of Agnes. And he closed in prayer and, and Harry just kind of looked up at him kind of angrily and said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What church do you go to? And uh, Tony Capolo said, well, I, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. And uh, Harry said, well, you know, I don't really go to church, but if I did, that'd be the church I, I would go to right there. And I love that story, church. I love it because it's the story of us. It's the story how, of how God loved us when we were unlovable. That God gave his one and only son to forgive us and to give us eternal life. That, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And that's just the message of the gospel. That we were no different than those prostitutes. We're no different from the demoniac. We just think we're different. We just think we're better, but we're really not. The truth is we're loved by God and we're called to demonstrate that love to others. And here's the last thing, the last lesson from this is that we're called to tell, tell others everything that God has done for us. And that's what Jesus tells the demoniac. He, he tells him, if you, if you notice this, he says, he says, I want you to go to your friends and I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you for you and that's what you and I need to be about it doesn't doesn't really matter how people respond we just go and tell how much we've been loved how much we are loved by God and forgiven by God and so I don't know where you I don't know where you are today but my prayer today is that you would rediscover the gospel that you know even if you're already a Christian that you would just be renewed in the fact that God loves you he knows your sin, he knows my sin, he knows your weaknesses, he knows my weaknesses, and he loves us anyway. Isn't that great news? Isn't that awesome? And so, I just wanna challenge you to walk in that love today and uh, to know that there's not any person that you come into contact with that's too far gone for Jesus. Let's pray together. And so God, I just thank you for uh, just the reality that you command the wind and the waves and you command the demonic spirits and most importantly, you seek and save the lost. And that's what we once were. And so God, we were objects of wrath. We were dead in our sins. We were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of darkness. We were enemies of God. We were rebels. But you loved us. And so, God, I just ask that you would renew that love in our lives, that we would see we don't, we don't follow you out of duty. We don't follow you trying to do more and be better and, you know, rise, raise ourselves up. God, I just thank you. You do that. So help us to rest in your love, God, that you love the unlovable. 
you, you pursue the ones we discard. We thank you that you didn't discard us. And so fill us with your spirit today. Manifest yourself among us today as we sing, as we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.